You're listening to a Church Doctor production. Welcome to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report, presented by Kent Hunter. Your church building, mission benefit, or roadblock? Oh, touchy subject. Hi, I'm Kent Hunter, the Church Doctor. I'm here to talk about church buildings, including where you worship. You know, Winston Churchill made this interesting observation. We shape our buildings, and afterwards, our buildings shape us. I'm not sure that uh, Winston was focused on church facilities, but it is worth serious consideration for the leaders of every ministry. Over the last 40 years, our church doctors have consulted over 500 U.S. congregations from 78 denominations, non-denominational independent churches, and as part of the on-site visit, we interview a cross-section of the congregation. And church members are often pretty vocal about church staff, programs, challenges, and frequently share opinions about the pastor's sermons, personality, and leadership. Further, they often share thoughts about ministries or programs. However, they rarely bring up issues about their facilities. The exception, relatively new members often notice both excellent and not-so-beneficial issues about the building or buildings. For long-term members, the facility becomes a well-worn shoe. And that shoe could be centuries old and even somewhat obsolete. Have you ever been to a church that's had a bell tower? What's up with that? Well, the story is a great example of how Christianity can get rusty in old, very old dimensions. The Protestants and Catholic traditions of many of the early churches built in the United States were developed by Christians with generational influence from Europe. Long before radio, television, and the Internet, news traveled from town to town, city to city, through people. There were couriers who traveled on horseback or, by other means, from village to village or city to city, to share the latest news. Most often, they would use the local church, which usually had the greatest capacity for a crowd. And when the courier arrived, someone would ring the bell in the steeple, and that was the signal, the only signal, to the townspeople to drop whatever they were doing and gather at the church to get the news. The courier would actually use the pulpit to share everything from regional weather events to reports about the progress of a war, updates on the nation's leadership, and who won the national election. All of this begs the question, why do some churches have bell towers today? The most common answer given We've always done it that way. Well, this is not an oddity 
to the members, it raises a strange and often subconscious reaction among newcomers to the faith. There is this subtle and hidden message, Christian religion? Old, out of date, and irrelevant to my life. I've had some interesting church-building experiences along the way. It is quite likely that I have visited well over a thousand church buildings in various places around the world. I was with our Church Doctor Ministries leader, Tracy, when we had the opportunity to worship during a Vesper service at Westminster Abbey in central London. There in England, there was that great worship service. It was liturgical in this very old building with numerous well-known world-class leaders buried under the floor. Their names are engraved in the cement. Honestly, it was an awesome experience for us. Would it make an impact on tourists who are Christ followers? Absolutely. Would it reach the majority of people in London who are not practicing Christians? Not likely. One of my favorite visits was in Paris when we took our children to the Notre Dame Cathedral long before the fire. It was actually my fourth or fifth visit to this magnificent facility. When we were there with our children, it happened to be on a Sunday morning. There were probably a hundred tourists taking in the majestic facility and about 15 older people participating in worship in the massive sanctuary. Both extreme impressions were unforgettable. At one point in my work as a church doctor, I was asked to speak at the annual conference led by Robert Schuler. Remember him? Founder of the Crystal Cathedral in California? My teaching segment followed Bill Hybels, and I was followed by John Maxwell. Standing in the pulpit, which was familiar to millions of television viewers who watched every Sunday, the cathedral was packed with church leaders who came from all around the world to be a part of this conference. Yet today, that amazing facility is owned by the Catholics, and the outreach vision of Robert Schuller is no longer the mission. When we lived in Australia, my wife, Janet, and I traveled to the Outback and visited the Aboriginal Mission in Hermansburg. And as we gathered for worship, it was clear to reach a group of people that are culturally nomadic is a real challenge. Their walkabout culture results in constant turnover. So what kind of church building works for that? In South Africa, I was asked to preach on a Sunday morning before the conference began on Monday morning. One of the leaders suggested that at the end of the service, I invite the rest of our American team to come forward and offer prayer for anyone who wanted it. <laughs> we did. And an hour later, we were still praying for people 
who were in lines across the front of the church. The building? Actually, it was plain and somewhat dirty with uncomfortable chairs, and it was very hot. Yet, those people didn't care. In another African country, Nigeria, I was invited to preach at a so-called new young church that had recently been started. One of the elders picked up my wife and me, and we were at the hotel, and he took us to the church. And when we arrived, we had to cross a little bridge over a ditch filled with raw sewage. Just on the other side, there were several small circles of children sitting in the red African dirt. Women from the church were teaching each little group. The elder told us it was their Sunday school. When we entered this young, new church, I was totally shocked by seeing over 800 people at worship. It was a former warehouse. There were no windows. And honestly, it had to be 110 degrees in that building. And the people were sitting on benches about six inches wide with no backs. They already had been worshiping for an hour when we got there. When we were led to our seats at the front, we met the pastor and I asked him, when do I preach? He said, oh, it'll be a while yet. An hour later, I asked him, uh, how long should I preach? I, I figured, well, these people have been here for two hours. It's hotter than blazes in here. I thought to myself, I could always cut my sermon short. You know, I could cut it down to 20 minutes, maybe. The pastor replied, oh, no, you must preach for an hour or they will be disappointed. There was no pulpit. I just stood at the front of the steps, and when I finished, there was literally a six-foot puddle on the floor around me from my sweat in the heat. My clothes were soaked. What about my favorite church building? Sometimes people ask me, hey, you've been to all these church buildings, what's your favorite? Well, I could continue with stories about church buildings from all over the world. Yet my all-time favorite worship experience and worship service was in the Amazon jungle in Brazil. Our team had flown into Manaus, Brazil, a large city with tall buildings and busy roads packed with cars and trucks. However, when we were there, it was absolutely difficult to even drive there from anywhere. There were a few roads through the jungle, but the roads that existed were considered dangerous. Historically, most of those vehicles in this busy city were brought there by boats up the Amazon River. Cars, trucks, everything. After our conference with a few hundred pastors who came from throughout the region, we boarded a ship to travel up the Amazon River to some remote villages. On the third or fourth day of our voyage, we reached a little village on the banks of the Amazon. It was a Sunday morning, and our daughter Laura, who was in high school at the time, was with me, as well as several other church leaders 
from the U.S. Our local leader was a Presbyterian pastor and a native of Brazil. He served a large church in Manaus, but also had cultivated a ministry in small villages up and down the Amazon River. He grabbed my arm and he said, We're going to worship at the village church, and you will preach. Your interpreter, Everaldo, will interpret all that you say. The pastor led us down a jungle path until we reached a gate that was part of a fairly significant fence. I asked, why is this area fenced in? He replied, so the cows don't get out. I responded, why are there cows grazing around the church? He said, because if they didn't eat the vegetation in the jungle, you couldn't find the church. This little church was built about three or four feet off the ground, probably to discourage snakes. Good idea. <laughs> there were three wooden steps to get up to the church. The floor was rough sawn timber. There were benches without backs, and the walls, well, they were just studs to hold up the roof and let the muggy air into the worship space. As this little church filled with people from the village, a lady entered with her two small children and sat in the front row about two feet from me when I preached. During my sermon, she pulled out her breast and started nursing her smaller child. It was about a foot and a half away from where I was. The other child, slightly older, fell asleep on the floorboards, wet his pants, and a small yellow stream was moving toward my feet. Halfway through my sermon, a cow strolled by with the open wall and gave out a loud moo. My worldview about church buildings would never be the same. I hope the same goes for you. But I want to tell you, that little church in that jungle and that experience was probably my favorite church sermon preaching experience of my life. But what about the building where you worship? What are the takeaways from visiting hundreds of churches, facilities around the world? I've got several, and some of them might apply to your church, and they might not all be comfortable. Number one, before you build a huge facility or add on more square feet of space, consider starting an outpost branch of your church. It could be in a different area or in the same community, yet have a unique setting, maybe with a different style of worship. You know the concept, different strokes for different folks, but the same message from Scripture. You see, you can remain faithful to the same biblical commitment, the same preaching message. This is what we consultants call the same philosophy of ministry. You can take God at his word, be fruitful and multiply, be fruitful and multiply venues. Jesus said basically the same words as his father, adding spiritual multiplication. He said, 
make disciples. According to the New Testament, this is implied. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You can multiply disciples by providing different outposts from the same church. That's number one. Number two on my list, sometimes multiplying church facilities provides the potential to reach new people by using a different, more contemporary style of music or a different language to reach those who are culturally different. While 1 Peter 2.9 says you are a chosen race, when Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28.19, the word there for nations is actually the word peoples with an S, or people groups. In mission school, I learned this principle. It is called the people group approach to world evangelization. The Bible says that even though Jesus is the Son of God, he became like us in order to reach us for eternity. When we are like him, we will reach them. In Matthew 24, the disciples wanted to know when the end of the world would come. They wanted a sign, and Jesus gave them this historical marker of his return. And he said, this gospel will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That word nations is actually the word peoples or people groups. And Jesus continued and said, and then the end will come. Matthew twenty-four fourteen. It is an issue of self-centered arrogance to require unbelievers to learn your language or to love your style of worship music or to follow your rituals as a prerequisite to meet Jesus and learn about salvation through him. You see, this ain't new. The Pharisees had a one-size-fits-all approach. But not Jesus, not Paul, who said, I become all things to all people, that I may save some of them by whatever means are possible. 1 Corinthians 9.22 Number three on my list, what are the barriers that keep some people from attending your church building? They include an inadequate parking lot that fills up. And unintentionally says to newcomers, you are not welcome. We've got no room for you. Or facilities that have no obvious front door. Or facilities that have steps that signal climbing is a prerequisite to meet Jesus here. Or restrooms that are hard to find without a guide. Or inadequate in size to accommodate the crowd. And no matter how bad you got to go, you got to wait. Or a form of seating like pews, which became obsolete about 100, 200 years ago. Or an approach to worship that uses archaic language forms that subconsciously signal to the 60-year-old baby Christian, if you don't get it, you're not welcome. Or inadequate fellowship space 
that signals, we don't have room for you. I know those are tough things. Number four on my list, another issue is the size of the parcel of land available to your church. Is there room to expand without decreasing the parking? Would a facility addition confuse the people flow for newcomers who look for the nursery, the Sunday school, the church office, the sanctuary, and or restrooms? Can you expand without adding steps? Number five, is your church building visible to your whole community or area? Is it on a main road? Would every resident within five to ten miles drive or walk by your facility sooner or later? Can your members tell their unchurched neighbors how to find your church using three turns or less? Number six, is your facility in good condition? Is it financially reasonable to maintain? For how many years? Is it a good kingdom investment at its present age? Are you being good financial managers of the asset you call God's church or God's house? Does it signal to those who have never been inside that God is relevant to my life and those people are serious about impacting our community? Look, I get it. These are very hard questions, and they are not meant to offend anyone. Most Christians want to reach people for Jesus. Most parents desperately want their children to grow up and be active believers. Jesus asked some hard questions of the disciples. Some of them were much more challenging than bricks and mortar. Jesus asked them, who do people say the Son of Man is? And then he got to the real question, who do you say I am? Matthew 16, 13 and 15. What does your facility say Jesus is? Learn from history. <laughs> My wife and I were in Riga, the capital city of Latvia. We saw a huge Lutheran church building there near the square in the middle of the city. Our guide said, you know what? This church has the largest pipe organ in this whole area of Europe. They even provide concerts and many people come from all over. When I asked how many people attended the church for worship, our guide responded, only a few, mostly older people. Look, we can learn from this. Take care in what your church invests. To be clear, Jesus had no buildings, no instruments. There's nothing wrong with having a facility where people can worship Jesus and learn about salvation and not get rained on. But at the end of the day, Jesus focused on people first. The whole point of the Christian movement is to reach people for Jesus, no matter what it takes. We Christians should have whatever is necessary, whatever it takes to get Christ to people. 
and absolutely no more. God bless you. And God bless the facilities that you wrestle with or celebrate and God uses to reach lost people to meet Jesus. Thank you for listening to the audio version of the Church Doctor Report. If you would like to receive the written version in your email, please sign up by going to www.churchdoctor.org. If you've enjoyed this teaching, please share it with others and encourage them to subscribe. Thank you, and God bless.